1: all right we had to take it to a part two because we had so many players we want to talk about these are the players who whether due to injury or unfortunate tragedy weren't able to fulfill their potential we talked about number of players back in part one i would suggest you all go back and listen to that if you haven't listened to it yet and I guess we can get right into it here, Danny. We can continue on with uh, our list. Who you got?
2: Let's go a little bit more modern. We have players from all over and talk about Gilbert Arenas. Arenas signed, you know, was a early, you know the you know the inspiration for the Arenas rule was after he signed a two year deal with the Golden State Warriors, and then the Washington Wizards signed him to a contract that the Warriors could not match, and then he blossomed into a legit star in Washington, and then. His career became sidetracked due to injuries, really starting around his age 25 season.
1: Yeah, I mean, 06, 07, towards the end of the 07 season, injures his MCL, but was basically never the same. it was a The injury was so bad that he only played 13 games the next season. But those three years, I, I talked about him a lot on a pod I do with John Hollinger about players from yesteryear who would have been even better today. And he was really ahead of his time. Very James Harden-esque, actually, in terms of his game. Got to the free throw line a ton took a ton of threes he topped out at eight threes a game most of them off the dribble and also took almost 10 free throw attempts a game as well. During that time, uh, those Wizards offenses were very good offenses. They were much better, almost 10 points per 100 better when he was on the floor offensively than when he wasn't uh, across 05, 06, and 07. And I really thought he could have been a top 10 NBA player for another three, four years. You know, what would have happened to the Wizards uh, during that period? I think they had Ernie Grunfeld as the GM. I don't think they would have broken through to really be elite in the East necessarily, but... He ended up just getting traded to the Magic. Didn't have it. Had that ugly incident with the gun in the locker room, where he faced a substantial suspension. But it was really—I mean—he never got back to being a, the player that he was, and was essentially out of basketball by age 30, and really never had a decent year after that injury. So I mean, I, I think he would have been a Hall of Fame player if he doesn't get hurt.
2: I think so too. And Arenas, yeah, he would—I think he would have hovered in that 10 to 20 range for another another few years. I think it's pretty reasonable to think that his his best years may have already happened, but he could have stayed around that level for for a little while longer. And then
1: yeah, I don't think so. I think he would have continued to get better personally. I think he mm. would have continued to refine his shot, his foul drawing. Um yeah, he he was rely on athleticism to get to the basket but he wasn't like just an unbelievable like nuclear finisher at the room
2: yeah it was it was a a combination for for arenas and i I think that the other element that would have happened so you think about arenas retired you know his his last games were that year in memphis when he was 30 the 2011 12 season he could have lasted longer as a as a star for sure but i also would have would have been interested to see what if he had stuck around long enough if it had worked out physically for him what his you know aging out of star would have looked like. He could have been a really dangerous second unit player. Maybe he becomes a complementary. player ball handler within starting lineups like there there could have been a you know kind of like what happened what ended up happening with vince carter where carter became a very different player but was still a useful contributor arenas was a different you know different type of player obviously but i think that that would have kind of you know had he been able to stick around long enough and the the gun issue is it would have been a big story for argument with the hall of fame and everything like that but i think that he could have had a a second act as a professional that would have been fascinating because of where the league was moving at that time like Like, let's say he would have, you know, he would have been in his early 30s in like 2013, 14, 14, 15.
1: Yeah. And who knows? Maybe if he's healthy that whole time, the whole gun incident never happens. He's probably in a different mental place. The fact that someone on the team, Crittonid, would challenge him like that if he were at the height of his powers, maybe that doesn't happen. So
2: um wait and let's i yeah. want to bring up one other stat uh so arenas in the in the 0607 season actually let's use 0506 so 506 he plays 30 almost 3400 minutes that year he takes he sorry he makes 37 percent of his threes and 40 percent of them were unassisted so a 60 percent assist or 40 percent assist that is a a strong ratio for the time and there are players who do that now but it would but arena's doing it then and it it, it I, I like that you brought him up in terms of how things would have changed. But yeah, I've, it's good to bring, it's good to discuss him here because we did get to see at least a portion of his prime, but there could have been a lot more.
1: So this next group of players are players who tragically passed away. There's three that really, or I guess you could say four that really stick out in my mind. One actually never even made it to college. Ben Wilson, there's a, a documentary, about him 30 for 30, went to Simeon High School, which later produced Derek Rose, Jabari Parker, Bobby Simmons great high school and he was about six seven very thin you know probably weighed about 185 pounds or so led the team to a state championship as a junior there's not much footage on him there's just a couple of games from him playing his junior year he was murdered before his senior year after an altercation a couple blocks down the street from his high school and but he was known as the number one recruit in the nation going into his senior year and have you seen the documentary by the way
2: i don't think i have no
1: yeah if you get a chance actually my wife liked it uh a fair amount also it was uh i mean it's it's very it's a window into like chicago basketball in a way i think it's very enlightening but um so i i'll talk about him a a little bit i mean he's the idea of him, you know, he was playing at a larger position at 6'7 on his high school team. His high school team ran a very regimented system. Uh, he wasn't really, at least at that time, a nuclear athlete. You could see because he kind of had this string bing body, body that he could have gotten a lot better as an athlete. But had excellent ball handling skills, uh, for 7", a, a lot of length, had a nice soft touch. 17 feet and in he'd kind of float in for bankers uh it was thought to be a good passer i mean i I would have been very interested to see what it looked like with him playing against other competition but that's before you really had film of that and so you you trust i think you know sonny vaccaro was saying that he, he would have been one of the best Vaccaro was uh you know well known as a talent identifier in those days Um, having watched him, I mean, it didn't blow me away what I saw, although I can't say I was watching a lot of other high school film in the 1980s to compare him to. Um, but I didn't see anything that was like, I can't believe what this guy is doing. But at that time, you didn't really have guys six, seven, six, eight who were handling the ball. I think there was a, a thought he would uh, evolve into more of like a point forward type of player. Um, you know, I, when I watched him, I wasn't like, oh man, this is just like a unique talent. But I also trust what people said at the time, which was that he was the, the number one player in the nation. So clearly, I think he would have certainly gone on to have at least some kind of an NBA career. There is this feeling, I, I think for a lot of players, we'll talk about some of the other ones too, Because of the story and because of the tragedy, to just assume that they would have gone on to absolute greatness—and you never know that about any high school senior—but I I think it's worth talking about here with him. I I thought he was like an incredibly smooth player. I—I don't know. It didn't jump off the page to me though that he would have been an all-star just by watching the very limited film that was available to me.
2: Another player we can discuss who never got to play in the NBA uh, was Len Bias. Bias. Did go to college. He played four years at Maryland. Two time ACC Player of the Year. Two time All America. Second uh, second team his junior year. First team his senior year. And bias got to the line a ton. He was you know the, the second overall pick in the 1987 draft and then tragically 86, 86, 86 draft. draft sorry the 86 draft and then tragically passed away um sh- two days thereafter and there is there is more film on bias there's also a, a 30 for 30 on him which i which i watched but i haven't watched enough of the film to really adjudicate where where he would have been as an nba player but again a, lo- a lot of people including most notably red Auerbach, spoke incredibly highly of him at the time
1: yeah brad Darty was the number one pick in that draft out of north carolina as a center uh, bias was was number two from Maryland outstanding two-foot leaper it had a, a nice touch on a jump shot it profiled as kind of a, a scoring forward kind of halfway between a power forward and a small forward that you might see today probably would have played small forward uh, as his natural position in the pros I, I would guess didn't seem like he had a ton of work facing the basket off the dribble from far out on the floor. It was more, he'd get the ball in close, kind of post up the way some of those small forwards would back in the eighties. It wasn't as much of a position where you'd have small forwards running, pick and roll or, or anything like that. That wasn't the gate way that the game was played at that time. Um, defensively, I don't really have a, a good understanding of what it would have been. He had, would have had pretty good tools. I'd never, he never struck me as like a great lateral athlete. And, um, And that draft was not like an unbelievable draft either. Uh, A number three pick was Chris Washburn, who basically uh, also struggled uh, with drugs and ended up getting banned from from the NBA. There there weren't... 1986 did not have...
2: Yeah, uh, the 86 draft is one of the few, it might even be the only one, where you could argue that the players drafted in the 20s had had, had a better NBA collective career than the top 10.
1: Yeah, that's true. Mark Price, Arvita Sabonis, Scott Skiles dennis rodman all all in the 20s and uh yeah i mean that that top 10 was not unbelievable and they're really the only player who was even a perennial all-star out of that top 10 uh, was brad darty you had you know bias uh, died from a cocaine overdose roy tarpley uh, struggled with with drug addiction as well so there were uh, a lot of star-crossed players uh, in that draft and, and i think from what i had watched of Bias, bias you know, i've watched a few of his full games over the years from maryland seen some of the highlights you know i think he would have been a really good player you know maybe i think dominique wilkins on like the high end but you know he didn't quite have the bounce of dominique you know few in nba history ever have probably a better shooter naturally than dominique though so i think he could that that was kind of the profile though of that scoring forward of the time
2: and then a year after the celtics draft Len bias they draft Reggie Lewis 22nd overall Lewis plays you know significantly longer he has he has a 6 year NBA career and then dies tragically that next off So that's the in in the 1993 off season and so it, it it's Obviously tragic. We didn't get to see Lewis's whole career, but we did get a much larger sense of of who he was as a player. That he had averaged over 20 points a game the last two years, what ended up being the last two years of his life, and he had been an important part of those Celtics teams. But I, I saw him, you know, from from what I know, he had made an All Star team, made an All Star team in '91, '92. That he was a, a very good player to be sure, but not in the same category of you know like some of the people we talked about who were they had like MVP or maybe All NBA style upside at least from what I've seen.
1: Yeah yeah he was a rugged defensive player people at the time said that he defended Michael Jordan uh, among the best uh, of people of that era 6 7 you will know, probably about an average athlete a, a lot of it was his physical strength he, he liked to bully his way into the mid-range never was a three-point shooter his took 60 attempts in 92 93 and made 23 percent of them so that was not really a part of his game at the two guard position may have transitioned to play small forward as time went on for that boston team that really had its last hurrah in 1993 in a playoff series against the hornets that they lost and mikhail retired after that point parish moved on bird had retired in 92 so he would have been the bridge to a new era in boston i could have actually seen him being traded as they went through the rebuilding process i don't know what his contract situation was at the time but you know i think he was a a solid support player low-end all-star you mentioned he made the all-star team that one year but it was never anything that really stuck out to you too much. He was efficient for a guard at the time, with true shooting in the, in the 54% range most of the way, but never really got his usage above the 22% type of range. You know, he he wasn't a guy where you could just throw in the ball up top and he could create Again, and he was more attacking from the wings. You had to, to get him the ball a lot of the times. A couple of dribbles in the mid-range, rise up for the jump shot, work his way into the paint uh, using his physicality. That was kind of what his game was more like.
2: Another player around this time period. I uh, was drafted the same year as as Bias, and then passed away the same year at the same offseason as Evans was Drazen Petrovic. Petrovic originally drafted by from Croatia, drafted by the Blazers, and then made you know really started making a career for himself. As a, as a New Jersey net, went over 20 points a game the last two years of his life, was a third-team All-NBA player in 92-93, which was the last, last season he played. And... Petrovic he made this is is so incredible he he made 44 and 45 percent of his three-pointers but only attempted four and a half and 3.1 per hundred possessions the final two years of his life
1: yeah but he really focused a lot more on two-point jump shooting and considering how many jumpers he took these two-point field goal percentages are ridiculous like 53 percent on twos as a guy who wasn't getting to the basket very much, I mean, his style of game in those New Jersey years was coming off of screens, shooting the jump shot, had one of the more versatile jump shots of the era. And he he never made an all-star team. I think he might've made one or two uh, as time went on, especially with the shorter three-point line. He would have become, I think, one of the bigger bombers in the league that was from uh, 94, 95 for three years through 96, 97, that they had that shorter three-point line. And so he would have really benefited from that didn't do a ton else besides shoot and score but a guy who was ahead of his time in terms of his shooting ability and and, and john and i talked about him a little bit more on that same pot of guys who who might have been more appreciated in uh, the modern era
2: Yeah, and and, Petrovic also didn't come over to the U.S. until he was 25 years old.
1: Yeah, and he really barely played his first year in Portland on a team that makes the NBA Finals the next year during 1991, when Portland actually won the most games in the league, 63, then they got upset by the Lakers in the conference finals. But they traded him to the Nets that year, and then he has two big years with the Nets uh, before uh, he died in the car accident uh, back in Europe. Um, And then... Yeah, so that's th- those are the four guys that I was I was talking about who all in that same era really about a 9-year period uh tragically weren't able to finish out their careers. Man, I just love spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee, the no BS high rise pant, the slim rough neck pant featured in giant magazine Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets. From there as well, I felt really good about having them be the outfit of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from, European wools, linen, cottons tons of colors tons of patterns you can customize things like the lapel the vents the pockets and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style level up your game with indochino go to indochino.com use the code cap space are cap space we talk about all the time here on the program you get 10 percent off any purchase of $399 or more that's 10 percent off at indochino indochino indochino.com and don't forget that cap space code to let them know that you came from us
2: uh well, somebody that I wanted to talk about on last night's podcast because he's he's intertwined with Yao Ming because they were drafted one two in the same class. But Jay Williams had a different sort of what if career because of the motorcycle accident that he suffered in 2003. And yeah,
1: actually, I, I can tell a story of how I found out about that. I was a big Bulls fan at the time. I would just gotten back from college. I was working as a paralegal. I remember I spent all my time on real GM forums, and there was no Twitter at that time. And so, about probably thirty minutes after it happened, I, you know, I was just kind of screwing around on my computer, not working, and I was on the forum, and someone posted on the forum like the exact address of where it happened and how it happened, and that there were like uh, all these first responders coming, and that he was like really in a bad way, and, and like it, I was very odd to, at that time, to be hearing this on the internet, not really know whether it was true or not, not now know how bad it was. And, you know, of course, he wasn't allowed to ride a motorcycle under his contract. He didn't have a helmet. He didn't know how to ride a motorcycle. And, just screwing around on the north side of Chicago, basically just being an idiot and crashed his motorcycle. And it was, you know, I don't even think there was another car involved. I think he just lost control and crashed it. And, you know, on like kind of a residential street, if I remember it correctly. And so that all that day, I'm like, all right, are we going to hear this from reliable sources? This is just some poster. And then it started trickling in and it was clear that his career was going to be altered. He really, you know, he had months before he could even walk again. He had massive nerve damage and he tried to make a comeback, but was was clearly never able to play at an nba level again um his first year with the bulls though wasn't incredibly promising and that was after he'd come out he graduated from duke but he came out after three years you would have expected if he was going to be awesome that he might have had a better year though that was an extremely dysfunctional bulls team
2: let's talk about somebody that um that well he, here
1: let, uh, sorry i thought you were gonna you're gonna comment. in oh sorry talk I, a little I, bit more about
2: yeah jay your, was jay was just a little bit before my time as a fan so um it was I, I know that he was extremely accomplished at at duke and 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 then and then jumped and so there were high expectations but you're right yeah he he hadn't been great in that first year but point guards often take a long time to develop that's that's been that was a, been a part of the story for most you know not necessarily the best the best the chris pauls are usually pretty good but the next year down could take a little bit
1: yeah and his game for those who don't Remember, I mean, he was built like a tank. He was a, yes. a really good high school football player. I, I remember Dick Vitale when he was in college talking about him as a, almost like a, built like a running back and got drafted number two. I thought, I think a lot of people were like, wow, this guy. I mean, because he was basically they win the national championship in 01 and then he actually. In a surprise, comes back. They had the best team the next year, and they lose to Indiana in the Sweet Sixteen. And it, his first year with the Bulls was not very good. Forty-three percent from two, thirty-two percent from downtown. I mean, he had a lot of athleticism, and he was built like a tank. You know, I remember he, he could get up for some alley oops every once in a while. It, it was a team that was you know they had Jamal Crawford on it still, who was like kind of still being a point guard. They would, he, he would ended up getting traded to the Knicks. He, he only averaged twenty-six minutes a game. They weren't at any good it was a very disappointing team there was the hope that after a bunch of years in the morass they might finally take a step forward and also concerning they only shot 64 percent from the free throw line and really never got to the line either you did not see a ton of flashes he had right by the end of the season i think he had like a triple double that got a lot of press and based on his college career, I mean, he's one of the greatest college players ever, one of the greatest college point guards ever. And you would have thought that he would be better, but that first year in the pros was not incredibly encouraging. And, you know, I did, I thought he had good vision, but not amazing vision. And he was a decent shooter. I think the, the biggest path for him, you know, would have been as kind of like a Stefan Marbury type who could maybe shoot a little better. I mean, that was the hope was that he would be this really good shooter from three and the way he was in college. And that never really ended. Ended up working out so i think he would have been a solid starter for a long time i don't know if he would have made an all-star team because the, that rookie year was uh, was pretty ugly for him
2: yeah it would have been a real challenge uh let's jump to bernard king bernard king is somewhat unusual on this list i guess you could argue that there's a weird parallel to bill walton in that we got to see him as a damn good player you know there wasn't the, it, but it was such an unusual path that was cut Short, kind of on both ends, but the beginning of his career and the end of his career for very different reasons. Beginning of the beginning of his career, including his time at Tennessee, there were some disciplinary issues, and then he, despite going over, you know, 24 24 points a game his rookie year, twenty basically twenty two his second year on the Nets. Then because of disciplinary issues, they they trade him to the Jazz, and then the that he's you know he's kind of out for like losing out of the league, kind of sort of in that early stretch. I actually talked about this, bro, talked about Bernard king in the next chapter in my book because he then the warriors basically rebuilds himself with the warriors wins comeback player of the year and then goes on from there to be to have a real run as a warrior and then more more notably as a new york nick
1: yeah, he got traded for Michael ray Richardson and a 1984 5th round draft pick. <laughs> uh, but he had made the All-Star team as a 25-year-old with Golden State. Yeah. They traded him for Michael ray Richardson and Richardson of course never did anything. In Golden State and King they, they went as far as to a 7th game loss to the eventual champion Celtics in the second round in 1984 and, and he had that awesome series against Detroit in the first round in 1984 and then really 85 86 he was on his way to maybe way to maybe. his best season tears his acl did come back uh and had one year where he made the all-star team in 1991 with the washington bullets but then was pretty much done after that and that was kind of just he scored a lot of points shot a lot but wasn't wasn't very efficient so he was he uh hollinger described him when we talked about him as kind of a cross between adrian dantley and anton jameson he would come across the lane get a cross screen take a dribble try to rise up over the defense for short-range jumpers that was kind of what his game was like another great scoring forward in the 80s and you know i I think he has he made the hall of fame yes yeah yeah Bernard
2: King was voted in uh pretty recently 2013
1: yeah um And he was just starting to make all NBA teams. Worth noting, too, that they had just drafted Patrick Ewing. And so I think like what those Knicks teams could have looked like with Ewing, especially if they had gotten Rick Pitino as the coach still, Pitino was way ahead of his time as far as shooting threes. And pressuring, I don't know that that would have been really King's game. But in the late 80s, Ewing, before he hurt his knees, was probably more of an offensive player than a defensive player. And they could have been a really interesting team with those two guys at the
2: time. Yeah, and... You brought up, you know, that he made a couple all-star teams. Bernard King also four All-NBA teams, second team in 82, first team in 84 and 85, and then makes it all the way back in his third team in 1990 slash 91.
1: Yeah, so that not getting to see him and Ewing play together for any length of time is something that is really kind of too bad. Um, Let's see, who else did I want to talk about here? Another another mid-80s guy, Ralph Sampson. When he was drafted, it was the draft for him that really turned everyone on to tanking and the Rockets for both him and Elijah on really crazily tanked on the end they got both of them they had that twin towers team made it to the NBA finals lost in six to that great Celtics team they throttled the Lakers in a five-gamer Samson hit one of the iconic shots in NBA history where uh, they threw it in from half court he catches the ball on the block there's less than one second remaining catches it turns in one motion shoots it over his shoulder and it hits the front rim and drops in and that wins the series uh, for houston in five in la but then his his knees basically betrayed him after that but i I do think there's a feeling that back then that he was as good as elijah one was that 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 wasn't really the case like he was better offensively at seven four he was very mobile he he could dunk it a lot around the rim had a soft touch he wanted to play outside a little bit more um and that worked okay when he was playing with elijah on, but he was a little bit soft that was kind of the knock on him and i think he would have been a lower end all-star type of player for a while but i don't think he was on the track to all-time greatness that people might have thought when he got drafted yeah but and- it, his knees uh, uh ended up being uh the, the bottleneck i mean his stats are not like overwhelming when you look back on it
2: for a player who was taken number one overall and and had the kind of had the, and and had the earlier career but i mean he was he was productive but i mean when you're trying to compare like elijah one and some of the other players i th- I agree with you. That might have been a little bit, but I mean, he was he was a, a, a prolific player relative to, to how you want to classify it. I mean,
1: yeah, I mean, he was a four time All Star, and but but it was uh, midway through 1987 that he he really never played. He, much
2: he was of, a four time All Star in his first four seasons.
1: Yeah, no, he came into the league it was age 23 season. Sure. So, um, but yeah, I mean, if you look at his advanced stats, never had above a 20 PR after his rookie year. True shooting. pretty. Pretty bad for a, a guy like him, it was 55% his rookie year. Maybe part of it is that Elijah Wan comes in and he ends up playing more outside. But, you know, 53% true shooting, 52% true shooting, that's like probably at or below the league average for those times. Even his usage is not that high and it goes down the better those Houston teams get. And he wasn't the, quite the dominating defensive force that you would expect for being 7-4. So I think he, I just, now, college, he was one of the best college players uh, for sure. But, you know would he have been i mean i think he could have made it for the nba hall of fame the way he started out but i'm not sure if he necessarily would have been a deserving hall of famer if he'd continued on the path that he would. man it is crazy to think that i've been working with helix sleep since
2: I kind of feel thematically like we have this this batch of power forwards worth talking about and let's start it with chris bosh bosh he, he had a wonderful career i would i believe that he is that he is a hall of famer and and should get in at some point and oh for, yeah no brainer, it's it's, it's like i mean him and weber and there are a few others where it's it's shocking to me that they're that they're not in yet but bosh you know he did have his career sidetracked by by the by the blood clots that ended up ending it i uh, last the last year he played was 2015 sixteen. And why i think it's also important to know bosch is that he he had been in, you know been an important part obviously of the two heat championships but the league was kind of coming to his skill set to a degree and i think you know yes. he was and that what his early 30s would have been like would have been fascinating
1: yeah i mean i i didn't focus on him as much because we did get to see him at his peak uh, the only thing that you know even that first half of the 14-15 si- season before he had the blood clots you know he actually didn't do that that much more. Now he got his usage up A lot more than it had been, but true shooting is around the league average. There starts taking more threes. About uh, twenty percent of his shots uh, are threes uh, at that point. And but it it seems clear that and he was a deserving All Star at that time. But it didn't seem like he was going to go back to being quite the type of scorer he was. Like Toronto Bosch, his last couple years in Toronto. I mean that that year that he had his last year in Toronto was a nasty year.
2: Twenty four and eleven on what was it? His true shooting that year I think was crazy. Fifty nine percent. Fifty nine percent, fifty nine percent. You are shooting twenty nine percent usage for a big man.
1: Yeah, no, it, it was he was really. I think people forget how good of a score he was. And every once in a while, when guys Wade or LeBron would rest, you would see it. I remember he had like a huge game in Portland that they won in overtime, where he had over thirty points during that that era. But I, I don't think we need to talk about him that much because I also don't think that like the Heat would have been championship relevant even if it he had continued been able once to LeBron continue left, on. Yeah. Um, uh, who else did you want to talk about? You mentioned some other power forwards.
2: Let's go to Amari Stoudemire.
1: Yeah, Stoudemire, if you, like, there's a difference between number 32 Amari Stoudemire and number one Amari Stoudemire. And number one Amari Stoudemire was still a great player. Uh, he missed all of 5 06, other than three games with microfracture surgery. And then after that, his knees would continue to betray him. He also missed half a year after he had a really bad eye injury and couldn't play. That was uh, the 8 09 season. And then, so he really only had two more great years uh, no, I guess 07 08 was really good too. Uh, so he has three more really good years in Phoenix. He was still very explosive and still one of the best pick and roll finishers. But the guy that he was in 04, 04 05,
2: 05. that's what I was going to bring up. Yeah. I mean, like, like the dunk that you
1: love to talk about, That you and I were both unwittingly, we didn't know each other at the time. We're both in the building. I was there as a fan for when he destroyed Anthony Tolliver uh, in Oakland. Um, I think that was the, the 09 10 season. But like that was the diminished Stademeyer who right. did that dunk. Like if you do the highlights, you compare. Number th- when he's in the number 32 jersey to the number one jersey like the athlete that he was in number 32 he averaged 37 a game against tim duncan in the western conference finals in 2005 he was unbelievable and, couldn't defend it
2: all yeah but but could do could do a whole lot a whole lot more than that and i mean the the thinking about what what that level of amari stoudemire would have done with those Suns teams moving forward i mean it would have been awe-inspiring and yeah, yeah I mean, they wouldn't have stopped consider- anybody but who gives a shit
1: <laughs> yeah i mean they still like if you consider though what it would have looked like with 2006 when dia and barbosa both come into their own you still have marion probably has his best season that year nash uh, is uh wins the mvp they got kurt thomas so they would have had a little bit more depth at center as well i mean that that team could easily have won the championship in 2006 um
2: Well, and I think it's a testament to Amari that diminished Amari Stoudemire was still such a great player. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Even when he went to the Knicks, like the first year and a half that he was at the Knicks, and he still was putting up the same stats without Steve Nash you know you and he they played pick and roll he had D'Antoni there for part of the time that helped him but he wasn't just dependent on Nash especially in that series against the Spurs like he was cooking Tim Duncan like facing up once he got a 15 foot jumper you could throw it to him in an iso and he could just blow by guys to his right and dunk on you or just hit the jumper if you laid off but just do yourself a favor if you're a younger listener and go watch like his best dunks highlights and your jaw is going to be on the floor. I mean, he is right up there with Blake Griffin and Sean Kemp, in my opinion. And to the extent that he wasn't, Like he was able to put it and part of it was the pick and roll game too and the spread pick and roll. But like, if he wasn't just the best, like pure open floor dunker compared to those two guys, I think he dunked on guys as much or more than those guys did. And he had like these huge hands. He, He could just pop up with the right hand, one foot, two foot leaper. It was awesome.
2: Something else you can watch. I think it's still on YouTube. Is I, so. I you were at that game, that that Warriors Suns game as a fan. I was there, credentialed, and there is a So Jared Dudley did this thing called J M Z uh, in those days. I don't think he does this anymore. And he did one with Amari after the dunk, where he talked to Jason Richardson and a few other people. And you can kind of hear, you can kind of hear me and see me laughing my ass off in the background because I'm standing between Jared Dudley and Amari Stoudemire. And it's just one of those moments that I'll, I'll always remember of like those days covering the media when the Warriors were so bad that everybody just kind of made fun of them. It was, it was. But Amari, that dunk in person was was unbelievable. And we might as well transition from Amari to somebody that you you invoked. I don't think we want to spend as much time on Blake Griffin, but another player who you know had different parts of his career sidetracked due to injuries but still you know put up put up some real impressive years anyway yeah john
1: and i talked about him in our pod about modern players uh, who active players who should make the hall of fame i think we both concluded that he was right on the borderline but should make it and you know i think even before you know he misses his rookie year entirely due to injury comes back as a bunch of relatively injury-free years, and then, but I think fourteen, fifteen was really the last year. I think it was his age twenty-five season that he had the kind of athleticism where he was just like dunking on people like crazy, and then he had uh, some issue. He had the the foot injury in the seventeen playoffs. But and he was still a good player, but he wasn't. You know, he made a top three MVP in 2014. I don't know that he ever quite played at that level, and you know, and Chris Paul I think was better than him throughout those years. Agreed. Although he was also very very good. But if you look at what he became as a shooter, if there had been a couple of years in there where he had maintained at least some ability to dunk on you and the shooting that he showed in the 1819 season with the Pistons, then you could have had like a really devastating player and a guy who and because by the time he got to the Pistons I mean he really he couldn't post up against guys his size anymore he really had to get the mismatch Um, and he didn't have like a ton of moves either uh, and didn't have the great quickness to blow by facing up out of the post so if he could have had a couple of years depending on how fast his athleticism would have waned naturally I think he could have been you know among the best players in the league for three or four more years than he was maybe not ever the best player in the league but certainly like a lock hall of fame case you wonder what would have happened to the clippers i mean keep in mind this right like 2016 he like Steph Curry gets injured against Houston they're slated to play the Clippers in the second round and then Blake Griffin and Chris Paul get injured in back-to-back games they're they're up 2-0 heading to Portland game four game five they those two guys both go down and Portland ends up winning that series in six and then they end up playing the Warriors Clippers if they're at full strength they might beat the Warriors if Steph doesn't and then, come and back and then
2: we would have gotten four, the Clippers thunder in the Western Conference Finals
1: yeah I mean I think Thunder probably win that, but. yeah so i mean those are some of the what-ifs and then 17 he gets hurt in the, their first run series against the jazz again and then re-signs and ends up just getting traded uh, uh, immediately after paul is gone as well so yeah his his injuries i think really changed the trajectory of that of that franchise maybe rock differs doesn't lose personnel power that, there's a, a lot of things that could have
2: changed yeah like there their, their ripple effects in blake's career kind of like uh, we're not going to talk about russell westbrook in this but like russell westbrook having some really impactful injuries we did another podcast on that a little while back
1: yeah just the injuries that most change like nba seasons and championships um all right so we probably got what here another 25 minutes or so this is what i wanted to ask you about quickly A subject of your book uh, on the warriors you didn't see when you were covering the team pre-injury monte ellis but he had a couple of ridiculous seasons with the Warriors, signs a six-year, sixty-six million dollars contract, I, I believe. And then that off season, right before it's supposed to kick in, injures himself driving around in a moped back home in Mississippi. Lies about it. Ends up getting suspended. Only plays twenty-five games that year. Comes back and plays again the next year, playing a ton of minutes, but never had the same level of efficiency. I mean, the efficiency that he had the last year, 0708 Now this is with Baron Davis is still on the team. They they win forty-eight games, but they don't make the playoffs that year. And then Davis ends up leaving. But he shot 53% from the field that year. He was unbelievable getting in the basket. 55% from two in that 07-08 season as a 22-year-old. And then, you know, was never even close to that level of efficiency. Granted, part of that is because he had to take on a larger role. But I think you just didn't see the same level of crazy explosion at the basket from him. He became more of really a gunner took a lot more outside shots uh, as time went on with that warriors team
2: well and remember monte was the kind of the young gun on the we believe team the 06 07 yeah. squad and yeah i i actually so you're right i didn't cover that i didn't start covering the Warriors until the 09 10 season but i was a partial i had i had a late partial season ticket plan for i think 07 08 and 08 09 because i was in law school and it was like i would pick a couple games to go to when i could and i got to see some of them i, I was i got I, there was a game that monte had 48 and then fouled out before he could get to Fifty uh, on what I thought at the time was a very questionable call. Yeah, he was an uh, an electric scorer. I always, you know, his shot selection even before I kind of had the words to describe it. His shot selection always bothered me, but they were going in for for a significant portion of that time.
1: Yeah. I mean, he just couldn't get to the basket the same way after the injury.
2: Yeah, yeah, and and you could see that in like his free throw attempt rate never really recovered from from where it was, and he, you know, so then he had to rely more on the other facets the other facets of his game, which were you know very good for a normal player. But it wasn't getting the same point. So yeah, I think it's it's fair to bring him up. I think he's more in the conversation of like he would have been a much better player. I don't think he would have been like an all NBA player, except for the the you know some of the A point stuff because his defense always sucked, from what I recall, and then from what I knew when I covered him. Um, and yeah. but he could have been a very a very productive player, and then a, a, in in that in that respect.
1: Another guy who gets talked about a lot, I don't spend as much time on him, was a, a high school draftee in the 99 draft, number five overall. Indiana traded Antonio Davis for him to Toronto to get this pick, and people with the Pacers always maintain that if they had just kept Antonio Davis that year they would have won the championship uh, against Shaq I I don't think that was the case I don't think he would have made that big of a difference uh, against Shaq but Bender took forever really to come into his own plays his third year finally plays 17 games averaging or or 78 games he's averaging at at 17 starts and uh, 21 minutes a game gets a contract extension and then suffers from big-time knee injuries basically never comes back he finally he had a cameo where he wasn't very effective way late in 2009-10 with the Knicks but the idea of him was at least people hoped that he could be kind of a Kevin Durant for his day and he does and he wasn't anywhere close to that natural level of a shooter. He didn't have that level of smoothness. There's a fluidity. The That's basket. what I
2: remember of Bender not having.
1: Yeah, I mean, but it was that that sort of body type. And back at that, at those times, he was probably too slender for power forward and you know maybe not quite quick enough for small forward. He got up to where he was shooting 36% from three on pretty limited attempts by that one good season that he had at uh, age 21 and you know the, it's another one is oh he was on the path he was on the path and i think people also thought that because you know Jermaine O'Neal had somewhat of a similar path to him where he just didn't play at all in portland goes to indiana and really takes off after that and they thought they're going to develop him in similar fashion but you know i think he could have been a starter you know I don't remember him being you know he was kind of a soft-spoken guy like didn't really give you the vibe of playing with a lot of intensity and so I, I think he you know could have had some defensive versatility but it, it was too young for him to really show it you know interesting to see whether uh, on some of those Pacers teams like the 4 team that made it to the East Finals won 61 games that year under Rick Carlisle whether he would have been part of that team could have boosted them a, a little bit more given them a little bit more scoring but you know I, I think maybe he could have been a starter but I, I didn't necessarily see all-star potential with him.
2: Oh, let's go to someone who has a, a a soft spot in my heart as a prospect because I have a, well, a well-earned a well affinity for tall point guards, and Sean Livingston was among the tallest and most slender of those, uh, drafted fourth overall out of Peoria, and I was living in LA when he was in those early years on the Clippers, was, was just absolutely captivated watching him, and then suffers that catastrophic knee injury in in the uh, 06-07 season The he was going to lose his leg, and he amazingly made it back to being a an important player on the nets and then a key part of the warriors title teams or an important part not a key part and but we never got to see that sean livingston again yeah you know
1: it's interesting i don't think he would have been an all-star um you know his first year he only plays 30 games He, he had struggled with injuries even before that um they make it to his second year that's when they lose in the conference semifinals to the suns in kind of that was back when the seating was all jacked up. So that was kind of like the JV matchup in the second round. And Spurs, Mavs was the, the varsity matchup. That was also an epic second game series. And that 06 playoffs was a great playoffs, man. um But, you know, he wasn't really closing games in that series. And his shooting was just a major limitation. And he was a good passer, but it would have just been really difficult for him to run, pick and roll. they didn't put the ball in his hands. Yeah, he was only 20. He was a, a very good. I mean, you could see even the level of athlete that he was years later with the Warriors, where he almost fung- as like a power forward or a center or with his ability to finish around the basket and that was even you know look 29 30 years old so you could see the level of athlete that he would have become He was also very skinny back then he never put on a ton of weight but he got stronger that that clearly would have happened for him as well but he i'm just not sure what he would have looked like as a superstar because he never developed the ability to shoot the ball outside of 16 feet
2: it, it pains me to agree with you, but I will. I mean, I I loved I loved watching Livingston, but the pathway, especially like to him, he was I, I loved his court vision, and he was he was a good passer. But the idea of him being a dominant overall player, it's it's hard. It's kind of hard to see that
1: he's actually someone who yeah. I probably should have talked about him as a guy who would have been better in previous eras. Because yes, he, he could have played like maybe like a taller Gary Payton, where he'd sort of yo-yo his guy into the. The post off the dribble, sh- shoot a turnaround, uh, break into the lane. I mean, maybe you think maybe he would have focused more on a three point three point shot if he had been a lead ball handler and it needed that more,
2: or or at least like a more reliable pull up.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so so I don't know. I mean maybe he could have been a guy who shot more off, you know, shot jumpers off the drill from two point range. You know, we used to he was a solid passer and ball handler, but we never really got a chance to see that great vision. I mean, he was one of the greatest players in Illinois high school basketball history and and was number 4 pick in that 2004 draft uh but yeah i mean he never quite was was able to i just didn't see the role for him as i was saying i'm repeating myself now but um you know i think he would have been a good player to start but he would have been the, one of those guys where we were talking about like yeah how do you really fit your team around him because he might not have been a dominant enough scorer, and you didn't have to respect him when he was off the ball and he kind of ended up playing really as almost like a power forward even a center offensively sometimes with the warriors and i think that's that was kind of the right role for him i think he could have been you know, a player who would have been very versatile, but I don't think he would have been like a superstar lead ball handler.
2: There are a couple others that we should that I feels like we should discuss for the, for, you know, to make this a more complete conversation. And one of them that I don't know his game particularly well, but know know the story is David Thompson. Yeah,
1: what what is the story
2: with? Well, him? I mean, freakish athlete started in the aba um and then when i believe that was when denver got got into the nba then he he makes the jump in um but then he he suffered injuries that was in his mid-20s right
1: yeah I, I mean i think i want to say that he like the final injury that he suffered and he obviously struggled with uh drug issues as well yes. but i think the the final is- injury that he suffered was like i want to look this up to make sure my memory is correct here but i think he like slipped at like studio 54 or something and injured himself Yeah, he was pushed down the stairs, and uh, his quote was that he, from him, was, I had the ability to be one of the greatest basketball players in the history of the game, and I blew it, which is really, that's per a Bleacher Report article, and none of these articles actually say what the injury was.
2: I think it was a knee injury. The one when he fell down the stairs, I believe was a knee injury.
1: Yeah, yeah he suffered damage to knee ligaments he filed a lawsuit (laughs) in studio 64 or 54 but it seems like it was uh it was unsuccessful yeah
2: and and thompson's he dropped 50 in one of the in in his rookie year and then famously had 73 points in this in in a game in 77 78 season
1: yeah i mean that was probably his best year that first year uh, or or those first two years in denver when they're in the nba and and of course he was a a great great college player as well uh, at nc state won a national championship and. 1974 and yeah some of his efficiency numbers are really really good for that time at a time when it was hard for perimeter players to get that much usage unless your name was Tiny Archibald. And yeah, I mean, he was definitely, I mean, age 23, 58% true shooting, 23 PER, again, at a time when the best players, you know, you're not seeing like 30 PERs at that point unless you're a Kareem. And, you know, it wasn't an amazing distributor. He was only 6'4", but man, that guy could jump out of the gym. And, you know, I think he could have had a, sort of a George Gervin type of career at a minimum. And it, instead, I mean, his, his last year in the NBA was eighty three, eighty-four at age twenty-nine. And, and even then he had pretty decent stats with Seattle in nineteen games, although only eighteen minutes a game, and then was never really able to play again. He did make one all-star team in eighty-two, eighty-three, but may not have really deserved so, it
2: that year. I, I think this is this is interesting. Um basketball reference to similarity scores based on win shares, been yeah, I have my own beefs with win shares and everything else. The closest parallel the most similarity score to David Thompson's like best to worst wind shares. Tiny Archibald. Huh. Because there aren't that many guys who were that good for that short a period of time.
1: Um, who I got two more. Anyone else that you really wanted to hit on?
2: No, I think I think that's all, all the all the major ones for me.
1: So I had two more. One is Elgin Baylor. Sure. Yeah. Who was really the league's original athlete. And yeah, you might go back and look at the film, and it's like, okay, he's not doing that much here. But he was really the first guy doing like double pumps around the basket, really athletic basket attacks so about 6-5 but really strong played forward at that time excellent rebounder great score and then he wrecks his knee in the mid-60s and he comes back and he, and he plays but at that point Jerry West is clearly the superior player it kind of becomes his team he becomes more of a, a usage guy he's not as efficient not as athletic he was reliant on that athleticism ends up having to retire I think nine games into the 71-72 season so he never wins a championship has a ton of losses in the final miles just really incredibly painful career for him and then the season that he retires they finally they go on a 33 game winning streak win 69 games and they win the championship uh but he he just still played in an all-star level after the injury but everyone who t- who talks about him said no he wasn't the same athletically uh, that injury was looks like he suffered a dislocated kneecap already was 30 at that point and it was game one of the 1965 playoffs and so that's one of those ones when it happens at age 30 you never know whether he was already on the downslope anyway and then he comes back and we're about to see this with Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson for example you don't know how much is the injury and how much is just what you naturally would age but the next season he was in and out of the lineup and then just wasn't really a top five type of player in the league after that happened but given it happened at age 30 maybe it's not as big of a deal as i remember i remember it happening at like 27 or something like that um so that's one
2: well it, it's something yeah. else and this isn't as pertinent necessarily with Baylor as with some of the other guys is that when we're talking about like further long ago nba players they came into the league so much older that we don't have that potential sample of like their early 20s so sometimes they were getting into their primes exceedingly quickly and so a little bit of missed time may feels very different
1: Last one we can talk about is Kevin McHale, played on a broken foot famously in the 1987 playoffs had had by far his best year statistically as an offensive player he doesn't drop off that much didn't have quite the level of usage as he had in that best year but he's still just crazy efficient even the next year the 87 88 celtics are actually one of the best offenses in nba history and he's 65 percent true shooting just incredibly efficient just not the same level of usage but i think really where it made the bigger difference was defensively he was actually before he broke his foot was a very versatile defensive player they would actually have bird guard the power forwards a lot and he would guard small forwards on that 85 86 team that was actually a great defensive team underrated defensive team and you know he just had a A lot of length pretty good quickness for the time he was would guard the other team's best scoring threat at the forward position and he really at that point wasn't able to do that anymore but you know that's his age 29 season that that broken foot happens but I mean if you've ever just seen Kevin McHale walking around Danny I know you you remember it like his his foot's uh
2: labored is probably an understatement
1: I I I think the technical term is fucked up like his (laughs) foot is fucked up like it is really like he's it looks like he's almost like walking on like the side of his ankle it is it's incredible i mean like i don't even want to begin to think of like how debilitating that is like it is not like and i don't know how much of that dates back to the fact that he just played on a broken foot i mean that's how ridiculous is that like no one today would ever play on a broken foot especially a big man like that um but they were going for back-to-back championships they ended up losing to the lakers in those 87 finals in you know he played a uh a season that year but i think it's fair to say it wasn't quite the same but it was more more of a defensive thing than an offensive thing perhaps
2: so i don't know if we need to necessarily do rankings but i'll i'll, I'll lay out a couple of things for me so i'm in terms of like the arc of careers and all that i am more swayed by players who either we got an inclination or direct evidence yeah. that they were yeah
1: i mean just for, like from a personal standpoint just who are you? Kind of. I mean, obviously, if the person passes away, that's a, that's a different category. Sure. But like, but in terms of just like purely what we missed out on from a basketball standpoint, like which ones are you? Would you have liked to have just seen the most?
2: So I think about the players who were either you know. Top five, top ten caliber players, potentially or actually were at some point. And so for me, that group that I thought of was really primarily three guys, but I'll add in a, a potential fourth, and that's Bill Walton, who had already been the best player in a title team and had already and won an MVP that same season where he got hurt. Bernard King, that he, he it just such a weird, a weird career. Like you have the 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 kind of off court stuff early, and then the and then the the knee issues late, and then Tiny Archibald, just the unusual combination of of his intense usage. and and creation that those three guys you know they, yeah. they were he
1: was ahead of his time I and mean, right. they really just weren't small guards who were scoring like that at that time
2: right so those three and then I'm sure there are some that would put David Thompson in that category I think that he from what I know and also I'm less you know like I'm a little bit less familiar compared to a lot of people who know the history with David Thompson but I would say that's kind of the for me a different group than everyone else there are a lot of guys you know people who maybe could have done it but all four of those players, they really did at some point in their career we just didn't get to see as much of it
1: i mean d rose has got to be in there for me just because he was so spectacular to watch i mean just from a pure yeah i guess he's he's standpoint. the fifth
2: yeah because he we won an MVP like Walt yeah did.
1: yeah and just uh, i mean i don't know that we would talk about him as like you know among the greatest point guards of all time i suspect that we probably wouldn't but just in terms of like the joy of watching that guy play basketball at his best to to miss out on that yeah
2: like, I, I think we talk really about him similarly to russell westbrook except i enjoyed watching derrick rose more than i enjoy Russell Westbrook
1: yeah absolutely I think Rose had, had a a game that captured people a lot more um you know Walton is certainly up there for me as well Arvidas is a huge one both because he didn't play here for a long time and because he just had so many injuries and just but like the film of him is so tantalizing when you watch it and I, you know my evaluation on the last show was you know, I think he would have been an all-star but maybe not among the best centers but I don't know that I mean he could have been this unbelievable passer especially when he had more gravity as a score it Maybe. maybe he could have been someone who really you ran the whole offense through i'm uh i don't know that he would would have only topped out as like just an all-star level of player he could easily have been better than he just a especially just because he was lithuanian as well but was soviet i mean just imagining like if he'd come over in 1986 or 1987 and not gotten hurt and just like how crazy that would have been and that would have been remarkable um so, so he's definitely up there for me in, in the top five. Thompson, I just don't know enough about him. I, I mean, it, to really it, just haven't seen enough film with him to just know how exciting it would have been. Archibald is definitely up there too. I'm just, I've always just been so fascinated by that season, that's uh, it. Still has never been duplicated. Maybe it never will be duplicated of leading the NBA and scoring assists, and also just having a really good offensive team that year too. I mean, you know, they're also when they're also terrible at defense. You think maybe they just played all offensive players, and maybe you know th- that's part of why he was able to be so good. But still, um so that one's up there for me. And in Amare, I mean, we still saw enough of him after that, but it just wasn't quite the same. Greg godin has got to be in there, though. I mean, as a guy who just yeah just for the Curiosity factor.
2: Yeah, I would have Odin kind of in the same same kind of. I mean, I think of him a little bit like Sabonis, where it's like I don't think he would have been you know an MVP candidate or anything. but he would have been an amazing player.
1: Gilbert Arenas is another one too. I just I just enjoyed everything about him so much that it was really a bummer uh, when when he went down. I, I don't think he would have changed the league. Didn't have quite the upside as some of the other guys were talking, but I just really enjoyed it. Like some of the deep three pointers that he would take back then. It's like this quick release set shot. I, I just. really really enjoyed a lot of that as well so so yeah th- those are probably the biggest ones for me all right anything to talk about before we go here
2: yeah i had a, a hawks q a with chris Kirchner uh, that's at the athletic and then i'll have a second part of my knicks q a that'll be out either friday or monday and then i am I'm hoping I'm not jinxing it. I am about to record, but so it'll be out around the same time as this. Uh, Real Jam Radio with Derek Bodner about the Sixers. I just think their situation this season, with how w- what is uncertain and what is certain, is is just so interesting. I wanted to talk with him about it, and you could check you could check all that stuff L- out. Again.
1: Love the bod. Love the bod. <laughs> uh, that it's so funny too. He would like if he knew that I referred to him as the bod. That would just be like I, I'm sure he would probably never talk to me again. Don't tell him I said that.
2: <laughs> I'll make sure to tell. <laughs> All
1: right, thanks so much for listening and I, I do want to announce a, a schedule change. We're going to go down to maybe 2 or 3 days a week for now until we're supposed to get some clarity on the NBA season in the next 2 to 4 weeks. For now, I mean we still have plenty of topics, but basically the thought is at some point we're going to need to take a break. I don't think we're really going to have much of an off season if there and we're going to need to do a, a ton of episodes during that. So Probably the realistically, the only time we'll have to take an extended break is now. And, you know, it makes sense. There's nothing going on. There's no offseason to analyze. There's no next season to preview. So I think we're going to do that um and overall over the next year you'll get just as many episodes we're just changing when we're going to go to two days a week and it was getting to be pretty crazy for me to doing this pod five days a week and hollinger and the covid pod five days a week with the amount of research required so hopefully that's not too big of a disappointment you guys i I do appreciate all the messages that we've gotten about how you guys are enjoying the pod still uh, even with no basketball games and Hopefully, it can still be a welcome distraction.
2: Well, and between, if you you want to think about it this way, between Dunked On, Hollinger, and Real Gym Radio, you're getting pretty close to five times a week still. Yeah.
1: Yeah yeah no that that's uh, that is a good way to think about it um
2: all right we will
1: uh, talk to y'all i think we're gonna do hollinger usually comes out on sunday so we'll probably be doing mondays and thursdays most likely around that time we may not stick to just a, a that tight of a schedule and maybe we'll we'll see what kind of episodes we want to do we'll keep up with news obviously maybe we'll do some more stuff from the listener bracket it got a whole bunch of interesting stuff so you can keep up with us on twitter as well and
0: thanks so much for supporting us we'll talk to y'all on monday till then.